You're listening to Hey guys, welcome back to First of All, a real unfiltered conversation on career, family, relationships, and culture. I'm your host, Minji Chang. I'm an actor, producer, I'm a filmmaker, a podcast host, obviously, and here to share inspiring stories and to walk through everyday life with you. How are you guys doing? Hope you're doing well, as well as can be, honestly, because to start off this very loaded conversation today, it's been an insane time as of late. I mean, what do we No, we're on like year two and a half. Now. It's it's been nuts for a long time, but it's it just has been a little bit extra crazy. So to kick this one off, uh, sending hugs out to everybody. I love you. And if you've been going through it like I have, just I love you. And I hope we can all get through this together. We will get through this together. We will 100 percent. We'll be OK. But we might all need to like hold hands to get there. Welcome to season three, episode two, where we are going to talk about motherhood. Now, this is a mother of a topic, and I'm really excited to introduce our guest because she is somebody that I met and instantaneously clicked with, and just the conversation that we had in a very short amount of time, I felt a resonance with her, and I felt like she would just be such a wonderful person to speak on something that's really, really personal to myself and to so many of our listeners out there, whether you are you know, a uterus owner or not, uh, the idea and the the reality of bringing a child into the world and being a parent is not a small thing. So in this particular conversation, I want to debunk some things and to get into the real, the real, real, real reality of what it's like to go become a mother. And it's a very, in certain in certain scenarios, certain societies, it's still such a taboo topic to talk about some of the things that we're talking about in this conversation because we honestly didn't even get to go everywhere that we want that I wanted to go. Um, so you best believe there are more episodes to come. But it just drives me a little bit mad that there's still such silence and tabooness around. Is it just taboo? There's so much taboo around these subjects that are literally the most common experience of millions of people since literally the beginning of time like you and I would not be here you wouldn't have ears formed to listen to the words and the brain that is developed in your head if it weren't for this specific process and experience of motherhood and a woman a female like birthing a child like we we wouldn't exist if it weren't for this and yet we can't really talk about it in these ways and experience it in a way that is fully honored and respected and that drives me a little crazy. So I really wanted to talk about it. And uh, for this episode, I'm so excited to have Gabby Meyer join. And Gabby and I met at South by Southwest this year, which I was so lucky enough to go to and host the Asian Pacific Filmmakers Experience, which is my one of my projects that I do at Sundance and Tribeca Film Festival. And we we're at South by. And uh, we met through our mutual friend, James. What's up, James? Thank you. Um at a dinner and she and I just hit it off. And so it was really great to hear her perspective, just to feel her energy and her brightness and her her mind is so sharp. And I just knew, I was like, Gabby, you got to come on. We got to talk about motherhood. I want to hear your story. I want to hear your perspective. And bada bing, bada boom, here we are. 
So before we get into this, uh, we are going to talk about some very triggering topics. We're going to get, as always, very honest and not shy away from hard things. So we are going to put the trigger warnings in like the description and everything, but there is going to be talk about, you know, our bodies, uh, miscarriages. And so just want to put that at the very top in case you are not in a place to listen to that. And yeah, to please take care of yourself. Feel free to come back and revisit this episode at a different time when you're more of a better headspace to hear it. Do not want you to be in any sort of darkness because of what we talk about today. And I also want to acknowledge, because we recorded this conversation, disclaimer, we recorded this conversation before all of the Roe v. Wade stuff was unfolding. It was very shortly before, and who knew that we were having this very deep conversation about the complexity of motherhood and just being a woman and the choices that we have to make and the autonomy that we do or do not have in our own bodies. And then for that to happen so shortly thereafter was, I mean, honestly, at this point in time, like it's not that surprising, but it was just, it melted my brain. And I will, we'll get, I'll get into that hopefully, you know, very soon because I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about that, that honestly, I've been questioning why I feel so stifled when it comes to speaking up on this public platform that has become a home to me, that I have this podcast and this platform, but there's certain perspectives and experiences that I've had that I have been really like hesitant and scared and weird about talking about all night on on air. And that's something I want to explore. So I'm just giving you guys a heads up, but also to acknowledge that this conversation happened before all of that unfolded. So um, the references, you know, to those things will not be relevant to obviously where we're currently at in time in May when we are sharing this. So um, letting you know that, but there will hopefully be more conversation coming your way very soon because that is a very important topic, something that I am very personally impacted by, as many of us out there are. So stay tuned for that. But without further ado, I wanted to let you guys know a little bit about Gabby because she's so freaking dope. Um, Gabby is a Boston College alum. She is a senior marketing strategist at EYP design firm. If you saw her outfits, you would understand she's fabulously put together. (laughs) And uh, she's a founding Austin board member for Design Museum Everywhere. Design Museum Everywhere, which is a nonprofit. And she's worked in design studios and startups. Um, She's recently engaged. She's the mother of a beautiful, beautiful boy named Axel and the mom to also a sweet dog named Chico. So I hope that you guys enjoy this conversation. And as always, if you guys have commentary questions, hit me up. I'd love to hear from you. Without further ado, here is Season 3, Episode 2, Motherhood, The Good, The Bad, and The Unacceptable with Gabby Meyer. Enjoy. I, I don't know what you're saying, though. Yeah. Came in 88 with a dream of so bright. Welcome to First of All, Gabby. Thanks for having me. I'm really, really excited I'm very excited that you're here, too. Um, I already mentioned in the intro that I got to meet you at South by Southwest, which was a hoopla. Um, but yeah, I've done my whole spiel of introducing you, but I always want to give space for you to like, how would you like to say hello to our listeners, to me, to like get on the same page about who we're talking to today? Yeah, well, I'm super excited to be here talking about, uh, first and foremost, like honest mommyhood and momhood. Um, but I will just say I am a one-time businesswoman, a trained designer, 
um, an overdresser. My motto in life is it's better to be overdressed than underdressed. <laughs> a hand raiser. So I end up being one of those people that does a lot of things because um, a lot of other people won't raise their hand. So I'm like, all right, fine, I'll do it. Um, I am ambitious. I am very career oriented and I'm finishing a master's in sustainable design, hopefully next May. Yeah, you are. And I would say in relation to this, most importantly, I am raising or attempting to raise um, a (laughs) kind, empathetic, good human. And that's really hard. Which we've totally can get into. And if, if everyone already tuning in is not massively impressed just by what you shared, <laughs> I don't know what, what, you know what, you do you. Um, but I'll say like when we, when we met, I, I want to go on the record because what I do on my podcast, um, that I was really struck by your, the overdressing, which is not, I think you just, <laughs> I looked so, pl- I'm a very plain, I have a loud personality, but I feel like my, my style is really, really plain and it's very grayscale and like muted and it's simple because I have enough going on in my head and you with like your fabulousness. I just need to like note that because it screamed the designer part of you. Um, it just, it popped and it was great. I just want to put well, that thanks. out there. We're on thanks. an audio My mom will medium. be so proud. Oh, and you told me about your mom too. And we're going to talk about our moms in a second, but um, yeah, it's fabulous. And honestly, like I'll say when I was in Texas during that trip, I was you know, you're always at these festivals or like conferences. You're always keeping an eye out, you're getting back to being human again after pandemic. Mm-hmm. You're one of the people that was like, I need to dress better. Like, <laughs> I need- <laughs> Stop. <laughs> well, like I want to well, have more you. fun. And that's definitely what you inspired to. And that's what it is, is I have fun with my wardrobe. And mm-hmm. sometimes when I don't feel like good about myself or even if I'm in my period or whatever it is, yeah, I go in my closet and I'm like, I'm going to dress a little bit funkier today because it makes me feel good. I'm going to put some red lipstick on because it makes me feel good. Not because I'm it. impressing somebody else, but I'm like, it just gives me that little extra oomph yes. to get through the day. Yes. And I, I've, uh, during pandemic become a very, it, it's kind of terrible at this point how much TikTok I consume. But uh, (laughs) there was just like this wave of encouraging folks because, I mean, we're all going through it, right? But in the fashion and makeup world, which I've always like been interested in and dabbled in, um, it was that that energy of like, do it for yourself because it's Mm -hmm. not about exactly what you said. It's not about impressing anybody else. It's like, because it makes you feel good and puts a pep in your step. So, and also um, your child is adorable. Oh, thanks. So, He's pretty cute, if I do say so myself. So, <laughs> so cute. And you had this big reveal about, like, his looks because he doesn't look like you or the baby daddy. So right. Like, he's just darling. And so before we d- jump into all of that, I wanted to kind of, like, set the stage because I think it's a good context of, like, we're talking about something so huge today, which is parenting and motherhood and specifically motherhood, right? And... um it's a loaded topic. I genuinely, I, I wanted to talk about this for a long time and I didn't even know how to approach it. But I thought a good like intro on ramp would be for us to share like our moms. And you've already, I want to hear again about your mother because she sounds like such a vibrant, interesting character and I love it. And and that kind of sets the stage of like how we've been introduced to motherhood and then now how we're both approaching it. So yeah. I'm going to throw it to you. Like, can you tell me 
about the woman who birthed your fabulousness. Oh, thanks. She must be someone incredible. She is. And I think it's, um, so I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but we're recording on May 2nd. Uh And Mother's Day is right around the corner. Yes. And it's been on my mind a lot. Not because, well, it would be my second Mother's Day, but mostly because as a newer mom, I think about my mom a lot and about the sacrifices that she must have had to give raising us. I have three, uh, two older brothers, so we're three. I'm the youngest. Mm-hmm. And my mom got married to my dad, and they're still together 40-some-odd years later, when my mom was 19. So she was wow. 19. My dad was 23. And they had my oldest brother when my mom was 20, <sighs> which is I'm going to cuss a lot because that's what I do when I'm You'd like very enthusiastic about <laughs> things, but it. it's a mind fuck. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, total. And so I think, okay, I'm 37. I had my son when I was 35. I was about to turn 36. And so at that point, my if I had been my mom, I would have had a 15-year-old, yeah, a 13-year-old, and a 7-year-old. And that to me is just wild. And my mother is a businesswoman. She, um, my dad's an architect and my mom got her associate's degree, I think in like early childhood education or something. So she's been a career educator, but a businesswoman really, she owned a kindergarten and, you know, some other stuff, uh, related to education my entire life. But what I attribute to her the most is that she was always there for mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. I mean, I was, I was a resume builder, I guess you could say, growing <laughs> up. So I was in volleyball and dance and theater and speech and debate and all of the things. And at every single event, I was guaranteed that my mother would be there. Wow. And she ran a very successful business. She did very well for herself. And I just never understood. I guess I never questioned how she did it until I became a mother myself. Oh, Yeah. I yeah. can I, I mean, I'm not even there, but, like, just becoming an adult has been enough of a mindfuck for me. To, right. <laughs> to then imagine throwing other human beings into that mix. Just that alone of, like, having to be independent. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the when you math the math and you're like, wait, what? It It's a lot. And, and that, that's such a profound thing to really... Because, you know, you can know things intellectually, but until you, like, actually feel it in your <laughs> body yes. and soul of, like, oh, okay, this is what it really was or have an inkling of that, that's a whole different story. That's a whole different experience. Yeah, and the stories that I hear from her now, she never told us before. Or maybe we didn't ask or we Mm -hmm. didn't ask enough or we didn't pay enough attention, you know? And now Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, my God, how did you do this? Yeah. And then she just tells me these crazy stories about how she did it. I'm like, what? Um, so yeah, she is pretty fabulous. And thank you for asking. Cause she's, she's awesome. And she looked fabulous doing it. Right. Like I get <laughs> my taste from her. She looked amazing raising three kids and being there and running a business and a successful household and insert all of the things that moms do at the same time. I think that's what that's like this, um, this lack of like this, I don't know what the right word is. Words are escaping me right now. But like you you just don't have the awareness of like all that it entails to like 
say, prepare a meal (laughs) while incorporating allergies and stuff like that. And then timing and logistics of like, okay, I'm running a business, but I got to do it here between my children's uh, after school activities. Also, you know what I mean? And then like, Mm -hmm. All of the everything, also, and then also while having, you know, foundation that's not cakey <laughs> and, like, and, right. and running and, like, mascara that's still intact. I mean, there's a lot there. And I think we're also discovering as as women and as human beings and as, as adults, like, what fulfills us and what we need to keep our cup full. And all of those things kind of just circling in the same human being while they're executing all of this is astronomically insane. And that's how I feel about my mom, too. And I, I'm so— Inspire. I'm like so happy to hear that you have such appreciation for that because this is not to knock on it and it's not to throw shade at anybody because I know that there's so many different types of mother-child relationships out there. Um, recently, I've actually been there for quite a few friends that have been going through a lot of difficult times with their mothers um, and really trying to heal those wounds as adults. So I just want to say that I love that you have such a wonderful relationship with your mom and that we can share that because it's not to throw shade or like, you know, like there's so much value in any relationship, whether that is beautiful and like heartwarming or even if it's difficult, we all learn and grow from those. Um, But yeah, it's just, I just, it's heartwarming for me right now because I feel that way about my mom. Not that it's been perfect or anything, but yeah, I think there's been a lot of mother wounds that have been surfacing and a lot of people processing that. Um, and so, yeah, it's really, I, I just love to kind of like hear the breadth of, of our relationships with our mothers because it's, they're very deep and they're so impactful. Well, and I think a lot of it has to do with acknowledging that it doesn't have to be perfect. Right. Right. It's like, it's okay to have these moments of, oh my God, like what is happening? Because then you can reflect on them and you can come back and fix them. And then things are better moving forward. And I've had mm-hmm. a lot of those moments over the last few years. I'm not a lot, but, you know, enough with my mother <laughs> where I've realized that I'm a grown-up also, you know? Yeah. And it's taken a long time to acknowledge that it's okay to have my opinions and for her to have hers and us to still get along. Yeah. Um, and kind of get past that whole, you have to mother me throughout my entire life, which now as a mom, I'm like, well, of course you're mothering me because <laughs> it's that that feeling of you were inside my body and I grew you and I have to protect you forever. Yeah. Um, but it's okay that it's not perfect. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great thing to note off the top because I think the things that I, I realize about my own childhood with my mom, because she was a really fabulous working woman like your mom was, um, I think there's been enough points of reflection for me to see like the things that I would not repeat myself. Um, at this point, now that I'm a grown up, I, I think. Yeah, we think, right? <laughs> I think um, that I I would not, that I can like forgive that I don't hold against her, but that I, and I can understand with as much compassion as humanly possible because, so for me, when I was growing up, I was like a complete latchkey kid because my, both my parents worked and like in the nineties, you and I are the same age, but like we're, mm-hmm. I was in California in Silicon Valley and, you know, it costs a shit ton to live there first of all. Mm-hmm. Um, so it required a dual income on top of the fact that my mom loves to work. And I've learned that over the years that she just loves to be out and about. She's not really built, in my opinion, to be a stay-at-home mom as much as she adores us. Um, she likes to, like, 
make deals and like serve people and like have coworkers. And like, she loves that. She's very social and she's an Aries. So, I mean, um, it just I makes sense. I feel her in my soul. Right. You guys share that bond. It makes sense. And so she's not one to just like sit still. And, um, and so that's how I grew up watching my mom be a go-getter. Like she's all consummate, like, hi, I need to go. We need stuff done. And then she goes, goes and does it in the next second. Um, and I was really lucky for that. But then, you know, certain things that would have been nice, she she didn't do it all, like compared to your mom, like she was late to certain things. She missed certain key moments in my life that hurt. And I like needed to give myself space to like be okay. That sucked. I wish you were there. Because as a child, I was like, why the hell weren't you at my recital? You know, there's it's inexcusable. But like as an adult, I'm like, well, she was doing an amazing job, you know, making an income, still like doing double duty. And then we can get into that because it was like the second shift. I studied family sociology in college, but she was working woman and she was the homemaker. She was yeah. both of those things because my dad did not do that. Um, yeah. When she wasn't there, she was running the rest of your life without you knowing it. Exactly. So all those things I considered, you know, those, those things hurt as a kid. They hurt as a teenager. I had a very, I think when we got to talk and at South by, I was kind of feeling you and I had like a very crazy double life. I was, I was a great kid and the most awful kid in the very same person. She had to deal with a lot on top of my, my two (laughs) brothers. So like I, Overall, I'd say like absolutely net positive. I'm so grateful that I had the mom that I did. And I've also been reconciling the ways that like, yeah, would I repeat it? No. But also do I forgive her and understand that like given everything that she was dealing with, that it was just a lot. I'm I'm totally been there for years and I just, I adore my mom. And I'm very grateful that I have that closeness with her because yeah. I'm also aware like not everyone gets that. Not everyone gets that. Yeah. And also just a shout out to therapy for helping (laughs) me realize, you know, a lot of these things. So therapy, therapy, therapy. We heart, we heart you so much therapy. So much. How, like, so when you are, so now, like, I love that we've had our mom sash to like, shout out our moms. Um, this will come out after Mother's Day, but it won't be that long after. And I think we'll just, you know, still be in that glow because personally, I think every day should be Mother's Day. Um, what were, what was your attitude then when you you had this working mom? So was did it kind of influence and were you the kind of person that like thought about being a mom since a young age? Because I assumed as a kid that everybody wanted to be. I'm a cancer yeah. after all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, because I, I, I basically, for me to like, think on that. I was like out the gate starting when I was like, you know, three, four playing with dolls. It was like, oh, my baby, when I'm a mom. (laughs) Yeah. Were you you like that? Well, yes and no. I would say in general, I mean, don't we all have this idea of like, by the time I'm 30, I'm going to be married with two and a half kids and live in a house (laughs) with a picket fence and, you know, eight cars because why not? Yeah. Um, And when I reached 30 (laughs) and that was not the case in my life, I thought, well, you know, maybe I don't need this. Maybe this is not um, like a part of my, maybe this is a part of my life that isn't meant to be and that's okay. Mm. Um, And then I met, I re-met Victor. So just in a quick nutshell, we've, Victor's my fiance and we've known each other since we were five, which is disgusting. I love it. I love Um, it. (laughs) And we have this picture where we were at homecoming together our senior year in high school and like total prom pose. 
Um, And then we sort of went our separate ways and then reconnected about almost four years ago here in Austin. And so when we re-met, it was like all the things about love that that aren't true but are, like a Mm. fairy tale, you know, (laughs) like the universe has been planning this forever and I'm the fool for not knowing it. Um, So anyway, we fell in love and I was totally fine with just the two of us and our two dogs, you know, just Mm. living that life together and, and having that adventure. And he really wanted to have, you know, one, he wanted a little version of him and me which uh-huh. is very romantic and very sweet. And um, it took a lot of convincing because I'm a little bit older and uh-huh. all of the research that you see says all of these terrible things about being a mom after you're 35. Right. Or 30. I don't even know what it is anymore. But um, It changes every day. Yeah, right. <laughs> but when we, we had an accidental miscarriage, which is really, it was a surprise and it was all an accident and I'm fine and, and you know, all of the things but it really got me thinking like, well, maybe I do want this, you know? Mm. And so we we know where babies come from. So it's not like we were trying or not trying. We were just like, if it happens, it happens. Right. And it did. And, um, you know, the little guy is here because of it. And it's really exciting. But it wasn't – if our stool was just going to be the two of us and the two dogs, that was going to be fine too. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. I think mine's been just such a roller coaster because I was, again, the <clears throat> the little cancer son child who's like, I'm going to be a mother by the time I, I think I, I had said 22. So I didn't even think 30. 30 to me was like a grandparent. Basically. So old. Yeah. So old. So mine, mine have heard of like adulthood started at like 20. So I was like, by the time I'm 22, I'm going to have a baby and be married. And I think... Even in my teens, I was, like, delusional. I was like, I'm going to have, like, five kids. So that was my plan. <clears throat> like, the dream, which oh now my God. is so— <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> Can you imagine? I cannot. I lose all my hair. Um, but I think for me, it was just, like, this constant struggle throughout, honestly, since since my— since right after college, I'd say, like, the expectation or this, like, anticipation maybe of, like, oh— here I am in adulthood. I'm 21, 22, you know, and this was the marker. And I knew I was like, obviously uh, aware enough and mature enough to be at like, I'm not having a child right now. But I think starting at that point after college, I was really anticipating like, first of all, I was like, where's my soulmate? You know, just oh, like yes. looking around every corner. Like, is he oh, here? Oh, yes. Is that him? Is he I'm in like, this bar or that bar? <laughs> exactly. I'm reading a book at a cafe. Surely this is where we meet and like have our <laughs> meet cute. Meet but cute, like, yes. Yeah, and it was just this constant anticipation. So I think it's been really, I mean, in my 30s, it's a whole other ballgame. But I think I had moments like you, like you where I was like really sometimes forcing and then sometimes really just being in a place of acceptance of like if it doesn't happen, like maybe that's just what it's supposed to be. But internally, I think I always really struggled with it because I really did and have wanted a kid. And I've concluded currently at, you know, on the brink of being in my mid-30s, I was like, no, I do. I would, I kind of really fast forward ahead to being like 80 years old. Like, what are the things that you would be really sad that didn't happen? 
and having a kid, having my own kid and having family is one of them that I'd be like, I'd be really bummed if it didn't, if it never happened. So it's crazy to just talk about motherhood with all my friends and to witness it because there's like, I'm learning, I'm getting educated by you and all these girlfriends of mine. And I'm also like having waves of envy or anxiety and just like, or just true inspiration. It's all of it. So hats off to you because I think to do all those things, I want to shout out to all, everyone out there who identifies female. Like it's a very big milestone to like undertake. It's a big thing to do, you know, it's not a, it's Everyone's just like, oh, huge. yeah, you're 20. Start having babies. It's like, it's not that simple. Or maybe it is. Yeah. Um, I have a couple of things on that. But mainly I want to throw this back to you. How does it make you feel approaching your mid-30s with this idea on your mind? Mm. Well, I've been in my mid-30s for a couple of years now. And it has been really overwhelming mm-hmm. a couple times like more than once I'll say like truly heartbreaking because I went through two breakups in the last couple of years during pandemic mind you where I was like Ouch. how the hell am I supposed to meet anyone you know like a lot of things that were all very existential right in the last couple of years um I felt gypped and I mm-hmm. felt um just really cynical in certain ways of like I don't understand how this is supposed to happen for me. Then I felt bitter because I've been looking into fertility stuff. I'm going to freeze my eggs. And it's fucking expensive. And that made me really mad. And just in terms of gender inequality of like, totally. you know, it's not bad enough. So I was like, so I have to do this alone. And I got to pay like tens of thousands of dollars for a maybe chance that, you know, when we're mathing the math again, it's like for a chance that I could have like a child of my own. So it's been a lot. I appreciate the question. It's just, it's been, and then like constant upward internal battle of like, I'm moving forward in my career, but I still don't have like, you know, a stable, solid partner. And I have, and then it's hard. I just like, will get into these mini pits of despair and then anxiety and then just worry and then bitterness. And then constantly having to like hoist myself out of that pit, be like, it's going to be okay talk to my girlfriends, cry, whatever, right? And then be like, it's going to be all right. I have a great life. Let's not do that. It's hard, though. Yeah, I can imagine. It sounds sounds really, really hard and like a very difficult – going back to the inequality piece, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yes. It is not fair that you have to take full financial responsibility for this um, for a potential future with a partner. Yeah. Whatever that future looks like. Um, we need to be better about supporting women and people who identify as women in their fertility endeavors, prenatally, postnatally. (laughs) I mean, that is just, we could have a whole other episode on, the horrors of the American healthcare system against yeah. women. Yeah. Oh, I think we should. Frankly. We flat Count back here. <laughs> Count me in. I mean, because that's what I, and that's, that even that piece of like motherhood 
the cost of it, right? Like, <clears throat> we there's so much to cover here, which is why I think I've been so, like, intimidated to even broach the subject because there's the physical component. There's the mental and emotional component and the financial and, like, the everything that kind of comes after, too, that you just are not prepared for. And, like, it's not just ideas. This is real life, right? It like, is real can, life. It, it, and it is not only just, like, the dollar signs, but it's, like, the, the difference that those margins make on the, like, quality of life you can provide for this this human being that you love more than life itself, right? And would, like, do anything for. Um, again, really big endeavor and a really big thing and a, and a really big choice for anybody to make. Um, and something, like, I'm I'm so moved and like, and really curious about how you and Victor approach that subject. Because if you were in a place where you're like, I I don't, I'm fine if I don't. And it's not a a deep, you know, calling or like a need because every, every person is so different when it comes to being a parent. Right. Um, Because I get it when people are like, I don't want any kids. I don't want to be a parent. Because before, let's just talk about stigmas. That used to be like, really? Especially for a woman, right? Like Mm -hmm. you don't have kids. And it was literally like this scarlet letter of not adultery, but like you are shirking your responsibility as Mm -hmm. a female. Like your, your existence is all centered around you birthing another life, you know, like, yeah. Like what are you doing with your life? If you're not focusing it on your children, Mm -hmm. like, well, um, what have men been doing forever (laughs) when they haven't been focusing on their children? Exactly. Were you pressured that way at all? Like did, was that narrative in your life in in a major way? Um, yes and no. Again, I grew up in a Hispanic household on the border in between Texas and Mexico. And so a lot of my growing up was the traditional Catholic machismo of a Mexican household, right? Mm-hmm. But I happened to be born into really amazing parents with a, you know, a great family that raised me to be a hardworking individual that decided to educate herself on a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And so when I went off to college in Boston, I, you can, you can only imagine what Boston did to me, Um, (laughs) but it was all wonderful. And I was able to make my own decisions as an adult about what I wanted to believe and how I wanted to believe that. Love. Which I'm so thankful to, I have to shout out to my brothers here my parents did not want to let me go away for college uh-huh. um, because I am a lot younger than my brothers are. And I'm the only girl. And again, Mexican household. And my brothers were the ones that convinced my parents to let me go. And huge shout out to them because wow, moving to Boston changed my life. Mm. And I don't think that it's, you know, for better or for worse or whatever, but it has made me an adult. I think I grew up again when I was in Boston and I became a different kind of person that has been exposed to so much more than I would have had I stayed in El Paso, Texas. Wow. Um, and it's because of my brothers. I love and it. so shout out to them. Shout out to brothers in general for being amazing for the most and, part, except for yes. when we don't like them. So, yeah, except when you need to punch them in the face, which is yeah, every right. once in a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what they're there for. Yeah. They wreak havoc on you psychologically and emotionally sometimes to, like, keep you, give you character, as they say. Yeah. Oh, is that what they say? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. I'm, 
I actually really credit, as long as we're shouting out brothers, I've mentioned my brother on my podcast a bit because, like, he's the one who, um, he's been really supportive and he helped me through some really, really terrible things in my life. And that's that's been life-changing. But, like, he's also the one that, like, fought on my behalf or, like, to my parents about, well, my mom mainly, about me being an actor and going into the Hollywood thing. Mm-hmm. Um It's a very fortunate thing. And then, like, I had always kind of sometimes – I still give him crap about, like, oh, you're, like, a macho Korean guy, blah, blah, blah. I give him – you know, I I give him crap because that's my job as his sister. Right. But, like, in in practice, like, he was definitely advocating for me to have my independence and, like, for me to find my voice. And that – those are monumental things. Those are huge things to, like, really shift the way that you're going to exist in the world. Because if you are stuck in a place that is only – is very limited and very, like – just you, you don't have much space to expand and even understand like, oh, this is an op- this is an option for me. This is a possibility. Yeah. yeah. I thought I grew up in the world's smallest city um, because <laughs> I knew, you know, we knew everybody growing up. You knew the same people your entire life. And then I moved to Boston and realized that El Paso was actually a very big city. I just didn't know it, uh-huh. which again was a blessing in disguise because I grew up very safe. I felt like my neighborhood was totally safe. Um, my friends were safe. My friends' parents were safe. It was very safe and secure and wonderful. But leaving was also so wonderful. Yeah. I mean, how old were you at the time? I was 18. You're 18. Yeah. Yeah. I went to college in Boston and I stayed for, I was there for 12 years total. And I wow. never thought that I would, I never thought I would do that. I never thought I was brave enough or grown up enough or just enough, you know, to do something like that on my own. Mm-hmm. And it was, it, that's what, it's made my life. Every decision that I have made since then, good or bad, some really bad, some really ugly, some really fantastic, mm-hmm. have led me here. And I am so grateful for that. I'm so grateful you got that. That's Honestly, like, I think everything is just kind of having what I think I care most about. The older I get, the more I'm like, I don't know anything about anything. And I think that's a really humbling and beautiful place to be because you're just like, life is about choice and life is about Mm -hmm. opportunity. And it's really up to you what to do with it. Whereas, and that's like a new thing that I think is very characteristic of our generation because prior to us, you know, the Gen Xers and the boomers, like our parents, I understand, and I don't hold it against them. It's just that generationally, they were very much in this prescriptive mode, right? They're in this very, like, this is how it goes. This is what you do when you Mm -hmm. are 18. This is what you do when you're 25. This is what you do when you're a man, and this is what you do when you're a woman. And there's no—it's very, very simple. And so that's why I think I can't really hold it against my parents for being as sometimes problematic, in my opinion, as they are with their opinions of, like, what it's supposed to be. But I I can just, I can appreciate, like, they grew up in a time where it was that way. And it was that, like, ones and zeros, very (laughs) black or white and and simplistic. And now we're in this really, really expansive spectrum of what do you want to do with your life? Do you want to be a parent? Do you want to be a career person? Do you want both? And then, Mm -hmm. like, as great as that is, I just also want to say, like, it's also, it's also presented, like, its own challenges, obviously, because for me, I think my challenge with, like, Talking like I was so ambitious when it came to career and stuff, and then I wanted like this idyllic family life too. In my mind, I think there was always a fear that I wouldn't find a partner who could deal with all of that. 
Yeah. As, for me, I mean Korean-American, and they're... Sorry for any Korean-American guys. Like, I've had a lot of problems with y'all because there have been um, <laughs> different partners and friends in my life that have, have identified, like, that they have very traditional, quote-unquote, values and expectations when it comes to gender, uh, gendered, uh, what it rolls within a partnership. Yep. And so for a lot of different reasons and, like, the problematic relationships that I did have as a younger person, like, I just thought it was not possible to be the career woman that I wanted to be and also be a mom and be a wife in, like, a happy situation. Like, that something was going to have to be sacrificed in a way that, like, I wasn't willing to sacrifice. It was going to be, like, ripped from me. Does that make sense? Totally. I mean, something's got to give. And that's—and you're not wrong. Um, Being a mom is—I mean, really hard. It's just hard. And being a mom is really hard physically. Mm -hmm. And I have to say one of the silver linings of COVID for me was that I got to be pregnant at home. So I got pregnant in May 2020, which was just a couple of months after the pandemic hit. Yeah. And I didn't have to deal with the stigma of somebody watching my belly and not giving me a responsibility because I was pregnant or because I looked frail or because whatever it was. I got to I got to hide it behind a camera. Yeah. And it was really refreshing. And honestly, I got to take uh, meetings from bed when I wasn't feeling well. <laughs> Turned off good. my camera and was like, oh, sorry, my bandwidth isn't strong enough. Um, so a silver lining for me was that. I got to experience all of that in my own little bubble at home and not have the stigma, frankly, yeah. of being pregnant in public. Wow. See, Which honestly- is wild that you even have to think about that anymore. That that's wild to me. And I think that's even how like it's a distinguishing factor between you and me. Like I work in entertainment, right? And I don't work in like a corporate setting. I'm a freelancer. Like I, I work from home all the time and I do voiceovers. So it's really do I sound like trash or not? Which that yeah, if I were pregnant, that would be physically debilitating. I, I don't imagine like I'd be peppy and able to like sell your product for you on mm-hmm. the microphone. But like, can you elaborate like I've just heard so many different stories, increasingly, obviously, because, you know, we're in that age range. But the the stigma, can you elaborate on that a bit? Because it's I do f- have an advantage or privilege that I don't have to think about that as much because I'm not in those settings. But, like, yeah, it's it's super stressful for women to be like, I can't tell anybody that I'm pregnant. You know, it's mm-hmm. like this beautiful celebration for, in my mind. Like, this is amazing. And, you know, if you want it, especially, like— Yay, but like for so many people, it's like career wise, it can be just this big cloud over everything. Okay, so can I tell a potentially triggering story? Yes. Okay, so trigger warning miscarriage story coming up. Mm-hmm. So the one, the miscarriage that I mentioned earlier, um, and again, really, I am like psychologically and emotionally fine. It's just, the story itself is pretty triggering. Um, so we were not trying to get pregnant. We'd been together for a year. He was living in Houston. And I've never had this situation happen to me before. You know, I've been on birth control for a long time. I was counting my cycle or whatever. And it happened. I happened to get pregnant. And um, Victor was in town for a weekend. And I told him, and it was very early on. I'm like clockwork with my cycle. So I knew kind of 
five or six weeks in. It was very, very early on. Mm -hmm. And I had a miscarriage that Sunday night, right? He usually left, I'm trying to think back now. He usually left like very, very early Monday mornings to drive back to Houston for work. And it was that Sunday night. And I just felt terrible and I knew something wasn't right. And I happened to have a doctor's appointment scheduled for the following Monday to check out my knee or something because I'm getting old and my knee was hurting. Mm-hmm. And so I, so he goes to work the first thing Monday morning, leaves. I go to the doctor and the doctor confirms that I'm having a miscarriage. And he's cleaning me out because um, that, that wasn't what I was supposed to be there for, but he, he did it anyway. Mm-hmm. And this is, okay, it's going to honestly trigger warning if somebody just fast forward. Um, something fell out of me. And okay. he was like, oh, that must be it, you know. And then he looks at me, he goes, you're going to have a really, are you going to work right now? It was eight o'clock on a Monday morning. I said, yes. He goes, well, if you make it through the end of the week without killing someone, you're going to be doing great. Your hormones are going to be crazy. And I'm like, oh, wonderful. Like, thank you so much for letting me know, sir about how my week is going to go. So, you know, I teared up, cleaned up, got in the car, bawling. Oh Call Victor, God. obviously, he feels horrible. Um, but then I drive to work. And that's mm-hmm. how I start my work week. And guess what? I can't tell anybody about it because it's faux pas to tell people that you're pregnant beforehand. But I'm dealing with these insane hormones that I've never had to deal with before in my life and mm-hmm. still function as a, you know, as a human being for the next five days and hope that I don't kill anybody. (sighs) And that's, that's like the status quo. And it, it thinking, you know, at the time I was feeling one way, obviously, but thinking back on it now, every time that I think about this story, I get more and more angry about the way that, that, that was dealt with. Mm Mm-hmm. And the way that doctors, and I don't know if it would have been different. I can only assume it would have been different had I had a female doctor at the time. Right. Um, But the way that male physicians, in my case particularly here, think that it's okay to talk about something so emotionally difficult for someone. Right. Oh, that's terrible. I'm so sorry. Thank you. Again, I mean, it's... You know what? I'm not going to belittle this and make it nothing. It was a big deal at the time. I have, again, therapy. Thank you, Mm -hmm. therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've worked through a lot of things. And that situation made me really want to have, to attempt to have a child. But it was really, really traumatic at the time and very scarring. Yeah. And I wish that I could have just gone home and gotten in bed and cried. Which I think you absolutely would have been completely I would have, if, if I was in your life at that time, I would have, I don't know, moved heaven and earth to like, make sure that you could do that. And I would have, I don't know, used, it's so sucky that I would have to like concoct some lie or some elaborate thing so that you could have that space. Because I think the actual truth warrants a good enough, it's a, that's a damn good enough reason for somebody to not in any way hold anything against you or have that be a faux pas and some like that I am with you in terms of like the anger that I feel. Yeah. Um, I, I've been processing a lot of different things. It's crazy. My last episode was about, we're talking about law of attraction. I'm talking about my friend Roxy, who's fabulous. And we've just been like kind of unpacking the ways that we 
honestly try to stay positive in a very chaotic world. A lot of uncertainty and a lot of things that are out of our control. Um, But in the process of like looking at this paradigm of like how I look at life and how there's like meaning and order and like why things happen the way that they do. Like I've been addressing a lot of these things of like what makes me angry because I get angry a lot. And this is one of them. Like this is like a very key part of of what I think is the most human experience, the most human of all human experiences. You're going through this huge change, your body, everything. And it's, why is that a, a, a shameful thing? And why is that something that can somehow be used against you or me? Like, it just makes me really fucking mad. It makes me yeah. ill because yeah. it, 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 in my mind, and I don't even like the word should that much, but I'll use it very strong. It should be met with the most compassion, the most care and consideration, the most empathy. And then we both know that that's asking for way too much kind of, or maybe a lot at this point. I think that we are getting better. I want to credit that. Like more and more people are speaking up about it, including you and me here on this in this space. Um, and that's part of why, because I'm so sick of it being like a thing. Why is this something you can't talk about and be met with compassion and care and empathy? Like, and ridiculous. Totally. And I want to thank you for allowing this conversation because one of the things that I was really excited to talk to you about, Minji, specifically today was honest motherhood. And that Mm -hmm. is honesty on all aspects of it, right? I've been very lucky that, you know, my situation ended up with a child, a healthy child, a wonderful, beautiful, fun, insert all of the fun things here, um, child. He's wonderful, but that is not always the case. And I know too many women that suffer in silence, either trying to get pregnant or going through IVF or having miscarriages or just having a hard pregnancy. Yeah. It, we just need to be better as women, as moms, as new moms, at being honest about the process and the feelings and everything surrounding this because it's fucking hard. Yeah. It is just fucking hard. Cannot agree with you more. And that's why I was like, when we got to know each other and why I felt like such a strong pull because this, I've said it before, like I was nervous about how do I talk about something that is probably the most personal to me, right? Because Mm -hmm. like I said, like I've been thinking about this for over 30 years and it's so deeply meaningful and layered with like expectations outside of me, expectations inside of me. It has to do with like how all of my most private relationships have transpired. Like it incorporates a lot about like the deepest parts of me, right? And it's the most vulnerable thing that I'm going through currently that I was like, and I do want to share that. I do feel this like push to put it on air. And I've talked about a lot of things. I'm like, we're at like 170 plus episodes here, Gabby. Like, and I've I've struggled to like find a way to talk about it. And that's why when I met you and I was so just in our two conversations, like got to know you and and understood like the strength that you have and like the honesty of your story. I just I don't know. We're not even at the end of the episode. Thank you for being here. (laughs) Like, thank you. Because it is one thing. I'll say this, like being a podcaster straight up. I I get to hear some like in my life. I'm a very social person. I love people. I'm curious about people. And I've gotten to be let into a lot of people's personal lives. I'm so honored and grateful for that. 
And I will also say that having a show where like people are aware that other people are going to also listen in to those conversations, it does change the way people carry themselves. And I get it. I'm not judging that. It's like people are private and there are certain topics that are really fucking hard to just talk about openly where you know God knows how many people are going to listen to it. You know what I mean? So I just like say that all to say like, the importance of this conversation, the importance of all these conversations that are happening more and more frequently. I hope anybody tuning in for this, and hopefully it's driving some more curiosity to learn more outside of just you and me, that it's met with that kind of respect and that appreciation because it is a very hard thing to just like hop on a microphone with full awareness, like anybody can listen to this with their opinions and their whatevers um, and and not wanting to harm them too. Like that's a big thing for me on my podcast. Like I don't want to, harm anybody by talking about the, the deep things that I want to talk about. Um, I just hope people, it does drive more curiosity and appreciation. It's just, I've, I've in these almost 200 episodes that I've done, and this is podcast number two. I've, other, I've done other podcasts too. That one was like another 200 episodes. Talk with a lot of people. It's not easy to do. It really is not easy to do. I'm saying from a data standpoint as well. Yeah, I bet. Uh, it is definitely nerve wracking. Like it's taken me... I said yes right away, but it's taken some um, courage. I poured myself a bourbon before this for a little bit of liquid <laughs> courage. But I I just want to be as open and, and respectful as I can to the process. Um, but I want people to know I had a great, during my pregnancy and, and you know, postpartum, I've had a great support system. My partner, my now fiance. Yeah. It's um, very new. Thank you. He is, I mean, so amazing and so supportive and so wonderful. And even with an amazing and supportive and wonderful partner, yeah. it is harder than I ever thought. And not in the, not in a way that I thought either. Mm. Um, it's very, emotional. It's very lonely at times. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes I find myself awake at night and, and I've heard other people say this too. And the baby's gone to bed and the dogs have gone to bed and Victor's gone to bed. And I'm just awake flipping through the internet, through Instagram or CNN or whatever, whatever clickbait I get into uh-huh. um, for an hour or an hour and a half or two hours. And Victor will wake up and be like, just go to bed. You're so tired. Go to bed. And I'm like, this is the only time in a full 24 hours that I have to myself. And yes, mm-hmm. it's 11 o'clock at night and I'm so fucking exhausted, but I want me time. I want time where the baby's not going, ma, 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 and the dogs don't need to be fed. And Victor doesn't need attention. And the house doesn't need cleaned. And, you know, all of the things that go with just living a life. Yeah. I want to myself. Yeah. And so I take those 30 minutes or 45 minutes or 60 minutes to flip through the internet brainlessly yeah. as my time. I love that. And I love that you give that to yourself because I know even for a lot of different women and moms out there and people out there, it's just giving your time to yourself is like one of the biggest gifts you can do. And like, I wouldn't even want it to be a gift. I want it to be like a requirement. This should 
in my mind. I'm saying should a lot in this episode, but like it should be status quo. It should, it should be. be. It should be. But You're it right. is not, <laughs> which is why it goes. It's an important point to make at this point. Be like, yeah, that is like we are not meant to only be of service to other people. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, fuck off. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm going to <laughs> watch Love Is Blind by. season two. <laughs> Which is so good, by the way. We've had this conversation before. (laughs) I know. I had to plug it. I had to plug it because we said, you said brainless. And I was like, well, speaking of. um, I think we bonded initially over Love is Blind season two. I do think that was the, that was the, um, that was our meet cute. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. That was, that was the, the, definitely the meet cute. The catalyst for the future of us was Love is Blind season two. Love is Blind. And, And then fast forward to like. Talking about the most vulnerable and hard topics in in the world, um, but Gabby, let's take. I'm, we're going to take a really quick break, and I definitely want to come back, and we're going to jump back into all these lessons and experiences that you've had because this arty gold will be right back. Hey, I'm Phil Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, we got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallsbruce.com. Peace. Peace. Hey, first of all, fam, if you're a fan of the show and would like to support, consider backing us on Patreon. You can join our Discord community and get different perks by going to patreon.com slash podcast. If you'd like to support in other ways, you can go check out firstofallpod.com or subscribe and leave a five-star rating on your favorite platform or just follow me on Instagram because I love hearing from you. Thank you all so much for the support and enjoy the show. How was your break, Gabby? Feeling good? feeling great. I'm feeling feeling wonderful. Yes, I'm feeling like all of the things that moms should be talking about are getting talked about. And even if it's just little by little, Uh having a conversation about what should be happening, because I think you're absolutely right when you're saying should, and you shouldn't. (laughs) <laughs> in a lot of cases say it. But I think when it comes to issues like this, and this is not just a mom issue, it's like a womanhood issue. Mm-hmm. It should be better. Yeah. Yeah. I got I got peeved recently because I was speaking passionately about this topic and it was on a date. And the answer of like when I was getting, being myself and being very like heated about it, I wasn't even, like, I wasn't foaming at the mouth. I was just, like, you know, there's a lot of, like, there's so much bullshit that women have to deal with and the inequality and the lack of care and the discrepancy. Like, you know, just, like, with um, 
the stigmas at work and like the things that are at stake and like the inequality when it comes to childcare and like home, like it's still, it was just met with like, well, we're doing so much better. Like it was just kind of this defense. And I'm, I don't disagree with that. I don't think that statement was wrong that we are doing so much better now than we ever have. I think it was just the way that that it was met without any sort of like recognition of like, yeah, you're right. There's, there's a lot of work to be done. It was just like, well, we're doing so much better than like before and so much better than other countries. Well, and yeah, I'm like, but better doesn't make it right. Exactly. And I was like, okay, yeah, and lots more to go kind of thing. It's just, here's the thing. I'm not saying like, I don't know. I was just really peeved. I, that was not a, that was the end of that, by the way. <laughs> there was nothing after. <laughs> Amongst other things, it was just signal like, okay, the, you, you take care. Um, yeah. But those those things to me, and if, uh, I have future episodes talking about red flags in relationships. That that to me. Oh, for, I can't wait to hear that one. Oh well, like for me, I've just been learning that much more, especially as a grown ass woman who has been through the ringer in a lot of different serious and non serious relationships. Like the tolerance for if we're not on the same page, like I'm not wishing you ill, but I'm not giving you more of my time. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, oh yeah, you take, you take care. Um, and that's one of the key things, especially at this juncture where like I'm about to invest a lot of time and energy and money into my fertility for somebody to be that, in my opinion, wildly off page from where I'm at in terms of where it comes to my requirements or my my desires and my preferences for motherhood. I was like, we don't need to we don't need to have another meal together. <laughs> yeah. No more beverages There's- will be shared. No need for date number two. Yeah. Here or three yeah. or whatever it is. I'm good. Yeah. Um, when you, I'm curious when like, first, I'm just like so sorry that you went through that miscarriage and that you had to like, I'm sure go through so much to kind of regroup and like heal from all of that. Can I ask like, what was the time frame between when the miscarriage happened to like when you, when our little baby Axel came into the oh. picture? So the miscarriage happened in, I think, August of 2019. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was really the catalyst for our relationship as a couple to, to take the next step. I mean, we had known that we were going to be together for a long time or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Um, But he was still living in Houston at the time. So when that happened, that was really the line in the sand for, okay, we're, we're doing this and we're doing it together and we're doing it for an extended period of time. So he actually ended up moving to Austin with me, Mm. um, very soon after that happened. Mm. So August or September of that year. So very, very quickly, he was like, you know what, you, we cannot be separated anymore, which I thought was very, very sweet. And he uprooted his life and he moved here. And, um, that was sort of the beginning of of the rest of our lives, you can say. Yeah. And then the pandemic happened in March, obviously, as we all remember very clearly. Yeah. And, um, and we decided to, you know, I think when the pandemic hit, everyone was like, oh, I'm going to grow my hair out until the pandemic ends, or I'm going to stop <laughs> drinking until the pandemic ends. We're like, well, let's try to have a baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See if that happens. And it worked. And so um, we actually ended up having a second very early miscarriage um, right before we got pregnant. 
mm-hmm. with Axel. And mm-hmm. so we got pregnant with him in May, at the end of May. Wow. So less than a year after that first miscarriage, we decided that we were going to, you know, try to become an official family. How did it feel? Like, how is it? I mean, sorry about the second miscarriage. And I think, again, like what I'm hearing from other friends who've been, again, so much more open about everything. And that's, I think, such a beautiful part of, you know, being around women and just people that are emotionally vulnerable. It's so nice to be let in and for us to be able to normalize that with each other. But I've just been hearing like there are miscarriages are very common and but like it doesn't take away from how much it can hurt and how traumatic it can be because they also happen in different ways like you you were sharing. Yeah. Um so how did like what was that moment when you when you actually confirmed like oh I'm pregnant and was I'm sure for me <laughs> I would be very scared. I'd be like, "Oh, is this for real?" Yes. So it was actually very funny. So uh, I want to talk about my miscarriages because they happen a lot. And yeah. you're right. It doesn't take away from how painful they are, but I think a lot of the pain comes from the loneliness around it Mm. and not having anybody to share that experience with. So I would like to just holler out to all of your listeners and anybody who's going through this, who feels alone, reach out to me. I'm happy to be an internet friend or an anonymous friend or whatever it is. Send me a message, word vomit at me. I'm fine. Um, But you're, you're not alone. It happens a lot. And it's actually very, very hard to get pregnant. Mm. So if you check the statistics, it's something like, and I'm not quoting exact numbers here, so don't at me for this, <laughs> but it's like you have a 20% chance over two and a half days each month to get pregnant. It's something really, really low. And so I want people to know that it is not easy. It's hard work. And Go practice, go do it, have some fun, (laughs) but don't feel alone because it's not easy. Yeah. What was the other question? (laughs) Well, it's just, how are you feeling? Well, the other question was, how how was I feeling? Yeah. Yes. So again, I think I mentioned that I'm very, I was very regular, so I could count basically a 28 day cycle and know what was normal and what wasn't. Excuse me. And so this, the time that we did end up pregnant I was several days late and I thought, well, you know, we had that miscarriage last month, so I'm not going to think about it too much. And Victor had made this, he cooks, I don't, I I can't cook anything. And so he's the cook in our family, which I'm very grateful for. So he made this really delicious ceviche, which is raw seafood, Mm -hmm. which is like a big no-no when you're pregnant. Mm -hmm. Um, And he made this big old pot of it. And I was like, you know what? It was a weekend and I was not planning on taking a pregnancy test. I was like, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to enjoy my weekend. I'm going to have a few beers. And again, don't at me for this. I was enjoying my life. (laughs) I had a couple drinks. I had some ceviche. And I thought, this is Monday morning's problem. And uh, Monday morning, I took a test. And it was positive. And I thought, okay, it's time to call the doctor. And let's see what happens. And the doctor brought me in. That was, I guess, five weeks. So the doctor brought me in at about seven weeks. Uh Um, because I had had previous miscarriages. And at 35, it was a geriatric pregnancy, people. Yeah. Um, Which is another wild thing to see on your chart. Can we rename that? Yeah. I have a geriatric wound at 35. (laughs) Womb at 35. I'm like, okay. So anyway, they... um, 
had a lot of like testing and stuff to be done. And, and thankfully that time turned out well. And we had a, we were very lucky. We had overall a very healthy pregnancy and, uh, and the little guy is here. He's 14 months old. Amazing and beautiful and spunky. He is so beautiful and he is so funky. Love. He's the best. How, were, were you quick to announce, like, because I'm not throwing shade. I just, I get, I get a little bothered. Well, I live in California, by the way. So, like, the things that have happened because of uh, gender reveal parties. But, like, how. Oh, geez. How did you, yeah, fires. Um, did, did you kind of shout it from the rooftops? How is, how is it received? Like, how did your family react? How is, how is it all, like, commemorated? So we did not shout it from the rooftops at the beginning. We uh-huh. told our families at about seven weeks. So after our, our first sonogram, oh. um, where we heard the heartbeat and everything, we told our families and everyone was super excited and in disbelief. I have two nieces and they were like, no, you're not. It's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, no, you're not. Um, so I think, I think they were worried that they were going to get dethroned as the queens of the family. Sorry, guys. New um, new bundles on the way. Yeah, yeah. No more was, expensive dates for you. <laughs> it was really funny to see their reaction, but very, very cute. And then was, we told everybody else, like all of our friends, around 10 or 11 weeks, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did not do a gender reveal. That was... We're, we're not those kind of people. Um, you are we not. We did find out. Yeah, mm-hmm. we did find out what he... What, what he is a boy that he was going to be a little, a boy. And I called the doctor to check and, um, they were supposed to tell us. So Victor was like, have they said anything? Have they said anything? And I said, no. And I ended up having our favorite pizza place, write Boy and pepperoni on a pizza that I got for dinner that night. I cooked. Oh my God. You know, that's my version of cooking. That is your and, version. Uh, it's excellent cooking. <laughs> it is. It was awesome. But, uh, word to the wise, it's very difficult to read cooked pepperoni <laughs> on top of tomato sauce. So fair, fair. It, yeah, it took a little. Victor was like, where is it? Is it under the pizza? Is it? And I was like, read it. Read the pepperoni. So it was very sweet. It was really funny. That was really uh, cute. And that's how we found out. Oh, I love it. Oh, that's so cute. And you said you like got to, so you're at home and like experiencing the thing. I think like there's just such a, I know that it, these are like stereotypes that have long been dismantled mostly by, again, by our generation and like our our predecessors. But like the whole, just what, I just want to take a, a note because I'm the one in Hollywood, just to note all the bullshit that's been spewed on like in pop culture Pop culture, even dating back to like one of my favorite shows in the whole world, which is I Love Lucy. The fact that she was <gasps> me the too. F- Are you serious? Wow. Yes. This is why. Anyway, this I is know. why. Um, but how she was the first pregnant woman on TV ever, like mm-hmm. that it was considered vulgar that they couldn't mm-hmm. say the word pregnant. That she was, you know, had to say expecting. Like this was a whole debacle because <laughs> she and Ricky got it on, and they were going to make a- another awesome human being. Yeah. Like, Ridiculous, And this is, like, the era, obviously, where their, like, beds were separate and then they had their beds smushed together on camera. Like, <gasps> the scandal, right? Um, just, like, how far we've come with, like, expectations and the obscurity, like you're saying. Like, the not, the silence, even up to now in so many ways, about what it's actually like to be pregnant. And 
you know? Everyone's just like, oh, you're glowing. And like, no, you're not. No, you're I not glowing right now. I feel you're sick. You're sweating because you're nauseous and you feel disgusting and you're swollen and that <gasps> is not glow. anymore. <laughs> that is not glow. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say like, shout, I want to say shout out to my cousin, um, Mimi, because I love her. And she's she's been such a really wonderful voice um, out for mothers everywhere. And I learned a lot from her. She's an older cousin of mine, but she went through such a terrible pregnancy for both of her daughters. And she actually ended up adopting. They adopted their third because Aww. she just couldn't deal with being pregnant yeah. again. And um, I'm the worst. I should have looked this word up before we recorded, but she basically had, you know, the the morning sickness and all the the horrible horribleness of the first trimester for a lot of women. She had it all nine months. Like hyperemesis. Ta- yes. 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 Um and she had that and she just it was awful and she had to be on an IV and just was like bedridden, couldn't do anything. And it was just awful for almost a year, twice. <laughs> Um, having to do with that. And then she has two beautiful, my nieces are wonderful, but she's like, I can't do it again. And she's just been very vocal and yeah. sharing her story on, you know, social media, et cetera, like being a support to so many moms, just in case like, you know, they have like an atypical uh, pregnancy where they're exceptionally sick. And I was just like, geez, like see what she was going through so much. It sounds horrifying. I mean, that hyperemesis gravidarum or however you pronounce it sounds like being hung over for a year. Yeah. Basically. Because that's that's what morning sickness felt like. For me uh, specifically, I actually made it through my whole pregnancy without throwing up, which was a miracle. <gasps> wow. But I felt extremely hung over for three months um, without the fun of drinking. <laughs> You know, like I didn't get to have any of the fun the night before. Just the awful. all day long, I felt awful. Ugh. And I cannot imagine. I saw, so when I was, while I was pregnant, I watched the Amy Schumer documentary on her like comedy tour. And I can't remember what it's called right now, but I highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. And she also suffered from hyperemesis gravidarum. And I was pregnant watching her like work. And then get taken to the hospital for IVs because she had this thing her entire pregnancy. And I felt extremely lucky that I didn't have it. Mm-hmm. And then felt immediately terrible for every single person who does this in silence and has to go into an office. Oh, my God. So, yeah. Imagine having to work and, like, have meetings with other people while all you want to do is throw up in their face. Right. Also, while being like plotted against because they're like, oh, this person's gonna have a child. Cause we didn't even like finish talking about the whole work stigma. Like, oh, you're pregnant. I can't give you a raise. I can't give you more responsibilities. I'm probably gonna replace you. Yeah. Um, because you're useless now. You wanna be a mom. And even like yeah. talking about, so this is even before you get pregnant, like talking about motherhood. In, in, I'm sure in a lot of workplaces still, even though, again, we are in transition, those things are being addressed more and more hopefully, and I hear, um, but that, that that's the work that is happening and needs to be done, which is to like not hold that against a very great employee because they want to have a child sometime in the future. And these were like mm-hmm. all these reasons why it's just been like a prejudice against hiring women, period, because they're even just periods. They're like, oh, you know, 
that that stigma of like, oh, they're just so irrational. She's and bleeding. She is hysterical. And how can we have somebody at the helm of our company that is what all that bullshit? We've just had to deal with so much that we've been like working our way out of, but including the part of like, you know, people get asked, like, do you even, and I think, think this stigma is applying to men too. Like if they plan to have kids, period, right? They're like, oh. But that would also be looked at as a plus in some circles because they're like, oh, they'll work harder because they need to provide for their families. Right. They're established. They have, they're committed. They, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. No, I think you're totally right. And one of the first things that I faced when I finally did tell my my coworkers and my job that I was pregnant and I let me preface this by saying I have a very, very supportive and wonderful work environment and my boss is wonderful and I love it all. But one of the first few non-questions, because you're not allowed to ask legally whether you're coming back from your maternity leave or whatever, was, am I coming back? Like asking the question without asking the question. And I was like, yes, I'm planning on just having a child and I will be back. So it's, it's a... Certainly a lot to deal with from the very early age stages until until now. I'm a year plus out. And even now I'm like, you know what? Sometimes I I'm gonna have to have my son on my lap while I'm taking a meeting because otherwise he's screaming in the other room. Right. And so what do you prefer? Right. <clears throat> or I breastfed a lot during uh-huh. meetings because I chose to bre- to breastfeed my son and I was able to, thankfully. And mm-hmm. I did that in the middle of a lot of meetings. Obviously, my camera was off. Right. But- <laughs> well, even that, okay, I, I get just these things are the things that like cause me to grieve, like the ineptitude of society sometimes, just like breasts are not for ornamentation or for sexual purpose. They are for feeding <laughs> a tiny human being first and foremost that's why they exist their memory glands and like the the vulgarity that people have assigned to it over the years and again i think again we're working out of that and hopefully if somebody were listening to this episode what a, a couple years from now and they're just like wow they're really freaking out about this thing that's not a big deal anymore i'd be so happy so to future listener congr- i'm gl- i'm so happy that, that that that's the case but right now there's still so much like I just like how puritanical American society can be about nudity in general is like is really laughable. Um, but then like just how just talking about breastfeeding, making allowances for that in any sort of logistical way or like making the space. I just remember it was I don't remember what the exact thing was at my old office when I was in my 20s. But I remember there like there was this not argument, but there was like a debate about where to put and if we could put a lactation room in our office for mothers that needed to pump. Not even like have their kids there, just like pumping milk. Yes. And well, and now I think that mothers' rooms are mandated by federal law. Like you have to have a private space. That's great. In order to uh, express milk, as they say. (laughs) Is that Um, what that is? Yeah. It's like, you know, there's a very PC way of saying pumping. Mm -hmm. Um. But I think, and it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to have certain features. It just has to be like a separate place where you can do that. Right. Man. Yeah. Just, the, just that, like accommodating for that, that, uh, that piece of the pie, this very large pie. 
I think we have come a long way. And I'm glad to hear that. I didn't know it was federally mandated. See, this is the gist of it. I'm getting educated by you because I don't work in, a, in an office space. But I would like to have an office space and it's good to know ahead of time. <laughs> I'm curious, like, sorry to switch gears, but like when Victor, like, again, I think I want to hear all about Victor because I love how supportive and loving you guys are and how you've really... Honestly, compared to a lot, like there's, I have a spectrum of different experiences in my friends group, right? And like family members and people that I know in my universe about how supportive or not supportive their partners have been. How has that been? Like, obviously it was something that he really wanted and you guys decided together. Miracle happens. You're in pandemic. You're pregnant. How has that been like actually like birthing Axel, going through that and like sharing this experience with your fiance? It is very cool. Um, It is to see him as a dad is, I mean, first thing, it's wild. Because, like, sometimes we stop and we think, like, A, it's weird that we're together because we've known each other for so long. Mm -hmm. But B, it's really weird that we've decided that we've chosen to do this together. Mm -hmm. Um, that we chose to buy a house and we've chosen to become a family and we've chosen to create another human being together Mm -hmm. that runs around and like strangely does not look like both of us at all, um, but acts very much like both of us. And it's just, I'll tell you my favorite times probably in my entire day are in the morning when we wake him up and he either comes into bed or we go on the couch or whatever and he drinks his bottle and is just like barely waking up. Mm-hmm. And then in the evenings at dinner time, cause we have, we have made it a point to have dinner as a family every single night. And so we sit at the table and we have family dinner and the two of them, Axel and Victor have this very funny relationship specifically around food uh-huh. where I don't even know how this happened, if it's just innate, like he knows that mom doesn't cook and so this is dad's realm or whatever it is. But they look at each other and they, I can just see it happening. They bond over a meal. And it makes me so happy. It makes my cold heart so happy. (laughs) And like, you get like the pitter patters of, you know, your heart going. And I'm like, this is, this is just the sweetest interaction I've ever seen. It's everything. It is. It's everything. It is everything. Would you, like, I I, for, I love that you have that. <clears throat> I think those are things that as people dealing with all this chaos of the physical, the mental, emotional labors of, like, being a person, but then also on top of that being a mother and going through all the things that you have and that you will continue to deal <clears throat> with, like, raising this child and hoping that he becomes, I am also very confident he will be a wonderful human being. Like, I'm very confident in that. You guys are great That's parents. the hope. The only hope is that he is a decent human being. Right. Like, do you feel like when you have those pitter-patters, do you have those feelings of like, oh, this this makes it worth it? Like, I would imagine so. I feel like those are, those are, the, those are the, the anecdotes and those are the sentiments that get shared, right? Everyone's like, oh, like when you see your kid happy, it makes it all worth it. I mean, do you feel that way or do you feel like, you're like, Jesus Christ, but all right, fine. (laughs) Yes and yes. (laughs) Um, And actually, yeah. Oh, totally, totally. 
Um, yes, because you start to think like, how did I grow this person? Mm-hmm. I literally grew this person who was inside of me and now is outside of me and rations and thinks things are funny. And um, I can just see when he learns things, I can see it in his eyes and I can mm-hmm. see his brain moving. And it's just, it, it makes me think that life is not real if that mm-hmm. makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it also takes me back to, so again, my pregnancy was health-wise, thankfully very smooth. Mm-hmm. Um, but that did not, that does not mean I enjoyed it. I did not enjoy being pregnant. I'm not one of those women who says, oh, I feel so strong and I glow and I'm wonderful and I feel great. I think those women lie, <laughs> but whatever. Um, I did not enjoy it. And I expressed that to my poor mother a lot. Mm-hmm. who, you know, my mom was like, you're, you have all of the tools necessary to be a successful mother. You're going to be great. She's like, I was 20 years old. I didn't, I really didn't know what I was getting into. Like, you are fine. You have the snoo. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> and she asked me several months after he was born, she's like, well, now how do you feel? Like, do you regret having, do you regret having him? Mm-hmm. And I had to, stop and say, this is not a fair question because the person I was before he was born is a completely different person than I am now. Mm. And I say that psychologically and I say that emotionally, but I also think that physiologically Mm-hmm. I am made up differently. And and I'm sure there's some loose research that will prove that, but I'm not going to claim to know it. <laughs> but I really do think that inside of me, my DNA is different than it was before because it there's no way that I can be the same person that I was today than I was even the day before he was born. Wow. It's How's just not possible. That, how would you describe, what do you think is the most fundamental change? Because like I, I think that's something I... I'm really curious about, like morbidly curious about, because I've heard this said before, how profoundly it does change a person to become a parent, and especially for a mother, because you carry the child and you bring them into the world, and that's such a different, you know, experience and thing to do. How do you, I'm I'm like, I'm scared of it, personally. Like, I'm excited, and I'm also, because I <laughs> enjoy my life so much, and, like, I, I like, I'm finally, thank God, like, starting to like who I am. Um, mm-hmm. And and to and to think conceptually that I'm going to be a different person, which I've heard so many times, which is really cool, and it's also like, what the, what, it, well, what do you become? What the fuck, <laughs> yes. What the fuck is an what accurate happens? response to that? Yeah. How do you feel like you're so different? In every, well, no, I'm not going to say in every way because very much like what you just said, I feel like before having him, I was just getting comfortable with the me I am now Mm -hmm. where I was at that point. And I was very happy with a lot of things that had made me get to that point. A lot of things that made me really uncomfortable and really reflect on my entire life, mm-hmm. I had finally put to bed and I was fine and I was happy and I was thriving and I was in love, you know, like I was all of the things that 
make being 35 so wonderful. Yeah. Um, Because I have to say, I much prefer my 30s to my 20s, though I I wish I felt like I was in my 20s. But my 30s, I feel like, are really me. And I was there. Mm -hmm. And now I have been completely removed of a lot of the things that brought me joy at that point. Like, you know, things like going to concerts, uh, going to the movies on a whim, going out to dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I mean all of these on a whim. You know, like we can always, we do a lot of those things still today, but they involve a lot more planning. But I miss the spontaneity of my old life. So maybe that's the biggest thing other than I just feel like I would... I would kill a person for my child. Um, And I feel it emotionally. Like there is this very profound, inexplicable love that happens to most people. And I want to say most people because it does not happen to everybody. And I also think more people need to talk about the, the lack of immediacy in terms of love to your child all the time. Ah, Um, I think that's a whole other conversation. It did happen to me, but it does not happen to everybody. And again, if you are one of those people, it's normal. It's okay. It takes time to figure out what we're doing. And sometimes the love takes time and it will come. That's, I love that. I didn't even think to ask that because now that you said that someone else, I, I think I heard on a podcast, it was just saying like, I didn't feel connected to my child right away. Yeah. Because it's hard. Yeah, from mother and father. Because you, I think there's also those, like, stereotypes and expectations. Like, oh, if a father doesn't feel that way because they didn't carry the kid. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And there's so many other factors to it. Like, for example, like postpartum depression and all the hormones yes. that are, like, surging throughout your body throughout the pregnancy. And then in the aftermath, like, I'm sorry, just PMS alone. I can only, like, magnify that Holy times like a shit. thousand, right? Let me just like, tell you. Yes. So... It's such a it's such a crazy thing. And then I think, yeah, there's all these different expectations that can exacerbate what is already so distressing, like when you're going through it. The experience of yeah. it on top of the fact that everyone's expecting you to be on cloud nine, totally bonded with your kid, breastfeeding like a champ right out the gate, whatever, right? Like all these like yeah. idyllic versions of that. It's not that case all the time. And I really appreciate, again, I really appreciate honesty, even if it's not some pretty picture, especially if it's not a pretty picture, because I think we're just setting a lot of people up for further suffering and like, you know. And like, suffering in silence. And yeah. that's the worst part. Yeah. So I'll tell you a couple of things that I did in preparation for my postpartum journey. And I I have to shout out to my best friend for um, being <laughs> my Wikipedia along, <laughs> along the way. Uh, any question I had. And obviously she was coming at it from her pers- perspective, right? So this is not everybody's perspective, but... Where she was able to provide insight, she did. And I very much appreciate it. And a lot of times it was not pretty. And she would warn me. She would be like, okay, do you want the, you know, the the pretty answer or the real answer? Mm-hmm. So she let me choose the, the perspective that, that I was getting a lot of times. But um, one of the things that I did that I will pat myself on the back for was getting a therapist ready for my postpartum journey. And I know that because I have suffered from adult anxiety in the past. And I've been in situations where 
I just get very overwhelmed and I don't know how to get myself out of it. Mm. And again, third time I'm shouting out to therapy. But (laughs) in this situation, I reached out to somebody. I wasn't going to a therapist regularly at this point because I've kind of clawed my way out of the depths, um, (laughs) you know, a couple of times. Uh So I reached out to somebody before um, I was, before I thought I would need it. So in my last trimester... Uh, pregnant. So I reached out to somebody again, it was COVID time. So it was all telemedicine, which made it very easy for me at the time. Mm -hmm. And I kind of gave her my backstory of why I was reaching out, uh, for, for this type of therapy. My, um, grandmother, my, my paternal grandmother actually died during childbirth when my father was eight. So I never got to meet her. So I think I had these, like a lot of these anxieties that I wasn't thinking about out loud you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that came up during, you know, she was asking me, well, why do you think you need this and blah, blah, blah. In any case, um, I had a therapy appointment set for, I think it was two or three weeks postpartum. Wow. Just to check in, to see how I was doing. And thankfully I had a very, uh, not very easy, but I had a relatively simple postpartum journey. I had a Mm -hmm. C-section, which is major surgery, but thankfully for me, went very well. Mm-hmm. My healing process, which was not fun by any means, um, was medically healthy. And so I checked in with this therapist. I told her, I introduced her to the baby. I told her things were going fine. And I did this for several weeks following just to make sure, because postpartum depression doesn't always hit you right away. Yeah. And so I would recommend that for anybody that's looking at this journey, whether you've had anxiety in the past or not, postpartum depression is a very common situation that happens to women. And a lot of women don't know how to, how to deal with it. That is so brilliant. That Mm -hmm. is absolutely brilliant. That's like such a wonderful piece of advice and recommendation for any, like, Gabby, you're like, you're just the shit. That's so... (laughs) Well, Minji, thank you for like giving me a platform to tell women about this stuff, because these are, these are things that, again, don't, don't get talked about because they're taboo Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. And so Mm -hmm. I'm here to untaboo, unboo all the taboos. (laughs) We're unbooing it. Maybe that's the title of this whole episode. Unbooing unbooing the taboos. My goodness. I mean, there's, we've already, we've only scratched the surface of this and like, I know. Seriously, I don't know. I I have so many more questions for you, but like I also know that you have a child and a fiance waiting. And like, <laughs> you probably heard him crying in the background. I just I can't wait to meet him. Um, but I mean, that is a, a, such a crazy thing, and I hate to like expedite this because I also think we just need like a second and third and like multiple conversations. And you've really, honestly, just inspired me to have eighty more topics because as this becomes a more talked about topic in all the many micro subjects that are involved in this one conversation that we had on top of the fact that like who knows what the heck's going to happen in my journey with like I you know this egg freezing thing that I'm going to do I've been researching it for months and it's like crazy for me to even try to stop down stop not stop but like slow down my crazy life enough to inject myself with hormones and to like do the egg retrieval and like be in, you know, in a good headspace to do all that while I'm also a freelancer, all the things like, yeah, there's so much to unpack there. And I really want this space and for me and for you. And like, I'm just so grateful that we are able to be 
somewhat like just contributing as much as we can to having other people be less less taboo and less stigmatized and less afraid and hopefully less anxious about these really, really big things. Because um, they're huge. These are huge They're things. huge. Yeah. And that's all that we can hope for, right? And I'm going to say, Minji, I am so proud of you for making this decision. I know it's not easy and it's not going to be easy, right? Like this is probably the easiest part of the whole process. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am here for you. Thank I you. am a text away, a phone call away. I am cheering you on from the sidelines and Thank so you. proud of you for taking this into your own hands and making this decision yourself. I know it hasn't been easy and I am here for more of this. So, I mean, I guess we should see what your listeners think. Yeah, I want this um, a good way to ask. I, I, I always plug that at the end too, but we're going to say here, like, I want to know how much this is a needed discussion and, and what specifically is yeah. like, hit home. Like so many of the things you said, Gabby, already like really hit home with me. And I was just like caught up in my thoughts and feelings of like, we need to have a whole other conversation just about this. Like I have so much, so much on my mind at this point, but to sum it all up, you're, you're brilliant and admirable and so strong as so many women out there are. And like, we've dealt with so much and will continue to. And also in a lot of ways, like enough is enough. And that's why we're we're here brandishing our like metaphorical what I don't know. I just want to break down walls. Like what do they use? Like those hammer sledgehammers? A sledgehammer. Yes. yes. I cut down a tree yesterday, so I feel like yes. <laughs> I took a saw you. to a tree and I'm ready to take a sledgehammer to a wall. So let's do it. We are doing it. And it's so I just appreciate so much all that you've shared. Are there I feel like we got we did kind of cut the, the conversation short, but for the for the just to be considerate of time, are there other things that like are burning within you that in this scratching the surface kind of all encompassing initial foray into motherhood that we've we've shared the last hour and a half? Like, what are things that you also want to advise like right off the top? Because you've you've already given so many gems, but I'm curious if there's anything else that you have like burning within your chest. More honesty, more mm-hmm. honest conversations. Just be real because. We it, because it's hard. I don't. I don't want to. I I actually appreciate people in my life who've like warned me about how hard things are because then I'm prepared for it versus like expecting that it's easy and then being completely thrown off because it's not as easy as I thought it was going to be. Well, it's not easy, and that doesn't make it bad, right? It's yeah. not like I love being a mom, and it's given me a totally new meaning to my life. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't make me less career oriented and that doesn't make me less ambitious and it doesn't make me less anything else. Right. It just, it's different. Um, but it is hard. And I think, again, I'm grateful for my support system that warned me to a certain extent, <laughs> but there is so much more that I think I'm taking it upon myself to take the conversation away from, Hey, how you doing today? And the expectation being like, yeah, fine Mm -hmm. to how are you actually feeling? Because I remember it and it, I don't remember being at fine, it it being fine all the time. And sometimes sure, but like I'm a safe space and I want other women to be safe spaces for other women. Yeah. Who might not be fine. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also for all the male identifying listeners out there too. I just, I'm 
I'm fully aware that there continue to be like really problematic ass men out there. And I also think that it's so great, at least in my TikTok algorithm, I'm going to say, I know TikTok is addictive and I need to get off of it. And I have other things I need to address in my life. I get it. Note taken. And also I want to say it has exposed me to some really wonderful men that are really stepping up to the plate to be an active advocate on behalf of women and speaking to, because I just, I think that there's so much more power when it's not coming. Like there is absolutely power. Like, let me choose my words a little more carefully. It is powerful for a woman to advocate for herself. Absolutely. And I encourage all women to be able to say those things without shame, without fear of retribution. And those that absolutely, I'm here for it. I will encourage it and I'll be doing it too. And I also think that it's extremely powerful when other men speak up to other men and say, we need to be better. This is this is horseshit, how it's been going. Absolutely. To practice empathy and to like take matters into their own hands in a constructive way, which is to educate and to encourage and to hold accountability and to call bullshit where it needs to be called. I've seen a lot of that as well too. And I, I am here for it, you know? I am so here for it because it's already exhausting to have to deal with all of it and then have to try to convince other people to care. It's so, it's so exhausting. And so I also want to say, because I know that there are a good amount of my listeners who are male identifying and I appreciate you even tuning into these conversations because it makes me sad that that seems like that's a luxury or like a special thing that I don't, I shouldn't expect from men, but I do expect that at least from the people in my life. Um, my preferences, my standards are changing the older I get. And I'm like, again, even with that date where they're like, well, we're doing so much better without any sort of validation of like, yeah, it is really, it's bullshit how it's been. And any sort of empathy or compassion, I'm not here for that. And so I just like calling out to encourage and appreciate my male identifying listeners that the fact that if you're reaching this far into the episode, totally really happy, really grateful. It's awesome. More power to you. And again, you know, our brothers. <laughs> you know yep. what? I would like to thank before all of this, my mother, because I don't think that I do that enough out loud yeah. to other people. And so I would like to do that here and just say thank you for raising a girl after two boys and doing it gracefully and raising me to be strong and ambitious and proud of myself mm-hmm. because that makes me a better mom. Love it. Love it so much. Yeah, shout out to Gabby's mom. Also would love to see photos of her fabulousness, especially because you have set the bar so high. Um, I'll send you the glamour shots. Please do. <laughs> um, and in closing, Gabby, I do a couple, you know, a few questions with all, all my guests because um, you did listen to to the show before, which I'm very honored. Um, are you ready for our, our last three final questions as we close out our conversation? I think so. Okay. It's really easy, but you already kind of like said, um, what are you grateful for today? Watching my son, listening to the first real sentence that he puts together. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that one. Um, and you already did this too, but we're just going to repeat it just for, for the sake of uh, consistency. <laughs> but what are the final words that you want to leave uh, with our listeners today? Make it less hard for somebody else. <sighs> just, just that. Be kind and make it less hard. 
Beautiful. Beautiful. Gabby, where can people um, follow along with your journey if you care to share? And if you don't, that's totally fine too. Sure. Um, you can find me on the Instagram at where is Gabby. And that's where W-E-A-R because <laughs> I wear a lot of things. Yeah, you do. So, where is Gabby? Yeah. And you can find pictures of that cute little baby that looks nothing like me on there. The cute little baby and also your recent engagement. Congratulations again to you and Thank Victor. Thank you. So excited. I love how intentional you two are, how supportive you two are of each other. And honestly, that's like, let's have more of that, more of honesty and support, love, kindness, compassion. I'm here for all of that. Thank you, Gabby. Thank you guys for tuning in for this week's episode talking about motherhood with Gabby Meyer. Gabby, thank you so much for being a guest. You're absolutely fabulous. So eloquent, so empowering. And I hope everybody who tuned in gets something really inspiring out of it and uh, inspired for change and inspired for action because we're all feeling a lot of things and learning a lot of things day by day. And we're at this point where actions required from all of us. And so, yeah, please, let's all step up to the plate and protect ourselves and each other uh, we need it and yeah if you enjoyed that please do follow gabby with her work and we'll have her social gram social gram what did i just say social media handles in the description do go check there and you can go find her and uh, follow along thank you to marvin Yue, my audio engineer and producer thank you to anna sun my producer almost going to be mommy of baby number two producer and my wonderful amazing social media manager juliana dear juliana you're a star she's so shy when it comes to certain things and i've been like doing more of my shout outs to her embrace your power girl embrace your life you're amazing i love you thank you to my patreon patrons uh if you'd like to support first of all podcast please go to firstofallpod.com and you can get links to my patreon where you can become a uh, ongoing monthly supporter of the podcast and other donation platforms, etc. All, all to say, your support and well wishes go such a long way, and I really do. And I appreciate it. And uh, please leave a five star review and share it with a friend if you enjoyed it. And uh, you can find first of all podcast on all the platforms: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Radio Public, all of the things. So find us there. And if you'd like to. Send a little shout out, question, or response. Please go to firstofallpod at gmail.com. You can follow along on Instagram at firstofallpod and my personal pages at Minjeezy. And I think that about wraps it up. Thank you to Uzuhan. I almost said James because it is James Han. But thank you to Uzuhan for use of a song, Uzu Trap, for the intro. And thank you. We're bringing back my girl Alpha for our outro this week with her song Louder. Felt it was very empowering and inspiring and appropriate for this week's episode so thank you alpha i love you so much and that does it for me this week thank you so much for tuning in again and uh, until the next episode please take care of yourselves be kind to yourself and be kind to others i'll talk to you soon bye
Hi, I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. And we're the hosts of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Each month, we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a variety of genres, including contemporary and historical fiction, sci-fi and fantasy, romance and cozy mysteries, and so much more. Our past book club picks have included Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, Patron Saints of Nothing by Randy Ribeye, Grace of Kings by Ken Liu, and The Kiss Quotient by Helen Huang. Every month, we also go through the latest news in Asian American literature, as well as chat with some awesome Asian authors about their works. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com, and you can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.